sit back and strap in, because it's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. This is the first post-retreat, post-fall retreat uh, episode of the podcast, Aaron. We're not waiting a week. No, we aren't. Waiting three days. We're not waiting one day. We got home yesterday. And let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep talking. I'm not tired. I don't know about you. <laughs> Boy, what a fantastic weekend it was. It was great. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Aaron, uh, several guys expressed to me that uh, the high point of the retreat for them actually came on Sunday morning. And I had actually had several guys say that the gospel presentation that you brought to us on Sunday morning was the best they'd ever heard. And I had to agree. Uh, it, and it saddens me that a bunch of guys ha- uh, had to hit the road before chapel because they had to get uh, they had to catch flights home. Well, and I do think that the gospel was implicit throughout the entire weekend. Exactly. But you brought it to the surface. Where you were able, yeah, that was the time to do it during chapel on Sunday morning. When I see the lies of my flesh that mm-hmm. I keep throwing up, I vomit it. And then I scoop it up with a spoon and just eat it again. And then I vomit it and scoop oh, it. Oh, please. It's Aaron. horrible. No, it, but that is what we do. Sure. Yeah. And then when I vomit it up in a way that I see it and put the gospel next to it. Yeah. And I say, hey, which one do I want to eat? Mm-hmm. And I've, I've said this to so many people. Like, look at both of those. Which mm-hmm. do you want to eat? Nobody wants to go back to the vomit. Right. And yet that's where I automatically go if I don't see it clearly. Yeah. That's disgusting. Well, I have to say, you know, I've got to own the reason that that the chapel service was so powerful for me was that the gospel, you made the gospel, you customized it. You made it personal to me. You did a personal application to me. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that was a, a rare privilege. And you really, you know, spoke the gospel to me in, you know, powerful and powerful personal and deeply memorable ways. Well, I love how uncomfortable this is for both of us. <laughs> um, uh, but this is something that I do every week with people mm-hmm. on a one-on-one basis. This is the first time I've ever done it in front of a group of people. Right. Yeah. And that alone felt weird. Yeah. And now that you've asked that this be a part of this, like the whole thing feels weird, but I love weird. I like feeling weird. All right. So I'm okay with it, but holy crap. You, you, the other thing that I liked on Sunday morning was that I mean, you got up uh, after Tom did his deal, uh, and Tom was terrific, by the way. Uh, you got up to do chapel, and then you had to sit back down again because Jamie Faircloth was going to do uh, a song <laughs> on the sax. And, and, but I, I, I loved Jamie's contribution to The weekend. We got the power of music. Okay, so nobody knows who this is. This is a person I didn't know was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I'd had, set that up, man. Yeah, you did. And there, so there's a saxophone guy, mm-hmm. and he had some some tracks in the background, and he's playing the sax, and he's a, an amazing, uh, emotive yes. sax player. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. You feel yeah. what he, he's breathing yeah, into the yeah. sax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, we were already a little over time. I was already thinking like, okay, what do I have to say? How long is it going to take? Mm-hmm. And I start to get up and you're like, oh, sit down. There's there's a saxophone song. <laughs> and I have no doubt that you were feeling my my discomfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then as he started playing, Ferris Lord Jesus, wasn't he? Yeah. Wasn't that the song he's playing? I, I was like breathing and going, oh, this is... This is right. Yeah. Was it Ferris Lord Jesus? Oh, I don't know. It was one of the great hymns. All I know is it just, it set the table beautifully for the gospel. I don't know if we have it on tape. I don't know. Let's find out. We'll be back in a minute here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. I almost said positive sobriety. <laughs> I know you did. I know what that pause was. <laughs>
Thanks. All right, welcome to Sunday morning. That helped, didn't it? There's been a lot of information this weekend, and I've enjoyed hearing some of the discussion about it. Some of the discussion I've heard has been really important. Questions about where is Jesus in all of this clinical information? That's a fair question. That's not a bad question. It's an important question. The easy answer is Jesus is all over that. You have a mind that was created by God. There are biological aspects, there are spiritual aspects, and the gospel touches all of that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we integrate the gospel into a recovery journey that doesn't ignore physical things, medical things, cognitive things? These aren't separate things. But if we don't learn how to apply the gospel to that journey, then, well, I remember I was sent to a conference with John Maxwell when he wrote the book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I'm just going to put the word irrefutable in front of everything I say this morning, and then you'll be stuck with it. So I remember I went to the conference, and I came back and gave my dad the book, and he read the book, and his response after reading it was, that was a good book. Hitler would have been much better at his job if he had read that book. And I remember thinking, what a strange response to this book. I did I didn't even realize there was a Nazi focus in it at all. But what he was saying was, yeah, I mean, great principles. It, it has nothing to do with Jesus, so anybody could use those principles in any way. That was true. They weren't non-Christian principles. They were just principles. So if a Christian applied them well, then they could go deeper in places because of it. But we could also leave Jesus out. I don't want you to leave Jesus out of your recovery journey. Can you do recovery without Jesus? Depends what you mean by that. I know people that have got sober without Jesus. But I don't know anyone that's entered into abundant life without Jesus. Amen. So that's the question. What do we want? Life or sobriety? Sobriety isn't that interesting to me. Not if... We leave life out. Um, all right, let me see. I have some thoughts somewhere. We're going to do something really interesting and possibly fascinating uh, this morning. Nate, that'll be your job. Just throw irrefutably in front of whatever you like. Um, okay, when I talk about the gospel, here's what I simply mean. And we got to go quick through this. Uh, you can watch it on a video later, I guess, so... Awesome. Don't even take notes, by the way. Just be present. There's going to be videos. You don't need to take notes. When we... T Sorry, was that bad? Do you not want to stop taking notes? It's good. I, I sure hope so. And I, I hope to offend the rest before I'm done. Uh, when I'm talking about the gospel, it's simply this. Uh, we get very sin-focused in our gospel ideas and presentations. Jesus died on the cross for our? Yeah, nice, nice. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Is that true? Yeah. Is that the only truth? What else did he die on the cross for? Life, abundant life, righteousness, 
I was crucified with Christ, and I was also resurrected with Christ, so he died for my new life, my resurrection, the ability to be born again. All of those things are as true as Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but what's the only answer to the question that we give? Sin, sin. Hey, my wife's calling right now. Hey, I'm talking right now. Is there anything that you really need that's important? Oh, well, could you call me back when you're done? Totally. Uh, say hi to Jenny, everybody. Hi. All right, I'll call you in a bit. All right. Bye. bye. I heard a tone that says, I'm going to pay for that later. But I'm excited for you all to have met my wife. <laughs> Upon reflection, that was a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> irrefutably bad idea. <laughs> ah. All right. So we're talking about Jesus. Okay, let's take it a step back. God set a price for my adoption because that's what it was about, that I would be crucified, resurrected with the DNA of Christ. I have been clothed in his righteousness so that I'm not just adopted, but I'm adopted and I have the bloodline of the family. That's confusing and awesome. We hold on to that truth. But the adoption costs something. God set the price. Jesus died for God. We know that because for God so loved the world that he sent his son. This was the transaction. The price was set. The blood of Christ was the cost for my adoption, and Jesus paid it. Do I understand that? No. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even have to pretend it makes sense. I don't make anybody pay for anything in blood. If I did, that would be weird. That's why the whole thing, honestly, if I break down the gospel, it's weird to me. But it doesn't have to make sense to me because God set the price. Jesus paid it. On the cross, he said, Tetelestai paid in full and died. The transaction's completed. Now, I am a child of God, and God is able to be a perfect father to me. And that's where the gospel starts getting practical. What kind of father do I think God is? When we were in Colorado a few years ago, we did our perfect father worksheets, and people got really specific with what a perfect father would look like. And then we looked at those sheets and said, is that the way you see God? And I've done easily more than 400 of those sheets with people, and I've yet to have someone say, oh, yeah, the way I just wrote practical things. How does a perfect father respond when I fail, when I succeed, when I sin? Does he get disappointed? What does disappointment from a perfect father look like? They look, nobody's looked at that and said, that's exactly how I think God responds to me. Almost everybody looks at that and says, oh no, actually the way I think God feels about me is he's usually frustrated. He's usually disappointed. If I'm doing something fun and it's not kingdom work, he's annoyed because God's a workaholic. He's a workaholic, raging father who's only ever mad at me and only wants me to be in the family business. And if I'm not busy with that, well then fuck you, kid. I hate you. That's God as father. 
Now, would anybody say that? No, not until we look at the perfect father and say, no, God's nothing like this. But what is the gospel? That my adoption is perfect and complete and paid for because Jesus is perfect and complete and everything about the gospel is what came to me in a new identity through him. Now my relationship is perfect and complete. And I still live in a body of flesh. This is temporary, though. You'll die, this stuff stays, but you'll still live. So there's a part of you right now that's your existence, that's temporary, and there's part that will live on. The part that lives on is that perfectly loved child. The rest is this vehicle of flesh that loves flesh things. Does God hate it? No, God gave it to you. This is how I discover him. This is how I encounter him in a world full of suffering. I'm not worried about it because there's victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? This victory is done. Why? Because the sting of death was sin. Jesus triumphed over sin. It's done. So it's interesting. We talk about the the great dragon of our age. I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, wherever you went. Glad you brought that up, Tom. I have a reaction to that phrase. And luckily, I had my brother, Mr. Hamilton, talk me, uh, talk me out of this last week. Uh, I have a reaction of like, I don't want to call pornography the great dragon of our age. And yet there's a good way to think about it like that, and I think there's a bad way. And it illustrates this point. Here's the good way. It's a big deal. It's a hard deal. It's a hard fight. I need to address it as such. It's something big that is getting bigger. It's affecting the minds and hearts of young people. Is that a big dragon? Yeah. Okay. Well, what's the, what's the bad way? And by the way, for some of you, it's not porn. You've got other big dragons, right? Um, the bad way is I think of it as the great dragon, and it scares me. I think of it as the great dragon, and I wonder, will it win? That I already feel that it might have a victory in the end. If that's the way I see the great dragon in my life, then I've left the gospel out entirely. That's not a gospelicious way to think about it. Because it means that the victory is completely dependent on my success in wrangling dragons. That's not the gospel. I get to live in this body of flesh while having a complete and perfect gospel relationship with God, which means I get to fight hard fights with freedom and joy and hope and without despair. Why does this matter? I was trying to think of any sport except like boxing or mixed martial arts. None of them work as well. So picture this. Have any of you like trained in a fighting thing? Like you went to the gym, learned how to box, did some, right. Training's fun. You get together with your friends and it's fun. If you were told next week you're going to fight that guy who's in the gym, and I mean by fight like you'll stand there until one of you is knocked unconscious by being beaten by the other person, would you train differently? Would you live differently? Would your lifestyle be affected by the real fight? Yeah. Then I'm glad that we have a great dragon of this age. Otherwise, we just play at training. We just play at what it means to become men of integrity. We just play 
at these relationships. It matters deeply because there is a dragon, but it doesn't matter fearfully because there's a dragon. Because in the end, I get to get in the ring and fight the dragon. I might win, I might lose. Is that success and failure? How do I know? When Peter denied Jesus, we were just talking about this the other night, was that failure? Peter denies Jesus three times. How many voting for failure? That was a failure moment. I don't know, it's objectively kind of a crap moment for a guy. I don't even know the person that loves me more than anyone. But without that moment, he doesn't go to the Sea of Galilee where he's restored by Jesus, right? Oh, okay, was that a failure moment? That was kind of a success moment. That was an important moment. Was that moment important for later things in Peter's heart and life? Yeah, then it traces back to the moment where he failed. Do we really understand success and failure? Only in the moment. I judge this moment by my criteria. I decide what was success and failure without any bigger gospel view. And by the way, I don't have a gospel view, so ultimately all I have is surrendering it going, God, I don't know what's happening right now, but I know you love me perfectly. And I just got beaten by this dragon. But if I have a perfect father, what's he doing? All right, come here, kid. That was rough. That was rough. Let's get ready. Let's do it again. And the gospel truth is there's going to be one more round. At the end of all the times that I win against the dragon and I lose against the dragon, my sacred brother is going to, in the last breath of my life, say, you stay here outside the ring. I'm fighting this round. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? The dragon doesn't get to win, and so it becomes the catalyst for me to take this seriously, but not fearfully, not in terror, but with purpose. So when I say we engage this with a gospel view, it's taking that which is serious, serious, but it is never bigger or more powerful than the power of Jesus and the power of the gospel. Okay, Nate, come sit on the stool. Nate's been gracious enough to decide to be used today. Let's see. The other microphone. Okay. Talk in the microphone. Talk, talk, talk. Speak, speak, speak. Okay. All right. This is just going to be an example. Um, The gospel is pushed out of my mind by my flesh when I can't capture the false stories, the false narratives. Now, you've heard a lot about where these narratives come from, from Jay, stuff from your childhood. For some of you, that was harder than others. It was hard for me. I don't remember a lot of bad things from my childhood, so I thought it was in my job to figure out how my childhood was bad. That was hard. I have to find these narratives. Where did they come from? So we start with a statement that is, I feel an emotion. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling afraid. And so what emotion did you come up with? And we did this. Let's tell him I was walking through Home Depot. We did this by phone a couple of days ago. I've never done this faster in my life. Yeah. So this is the very fast version. But if we have time, and we're going we're gonna to have time, uh, I'm going to show you one that we took a little more time with. But I just want to walk you through the process of, this is what it looks yeah. like to attach a feeling, yeah. to find a false narrative, and bring the gospel into it. So, Yeah, so he asked me uh, uh, what I was feeling. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's still here to some degree. 
definitely. Uh, I, I, feel, I feel fear okay, so in my feeling, new role. Feeling afraid. Yeah. You knew it was attached to the new role. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, I'm not asking for you guys to, to know how to do this well. This takes a lot of practice. Folks that I do this with, we take months getting to the point that we can mm -hmm. do it. But I want you to see it. So we know there's fear. We know it's attached to the new role. And we talked through that a little and said, okay, why afraid? Well, let's boil this down to like a sentence, two at the most. What was the sentence we came up with? Uh, I'm too old for this. No, nope, not that one. The whole sentence at the beginning. This sentence. I oh, feel afraid. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I feel afraid that I'll not meet the expectations of myself or others in this new role in Samson, and I'll damage others and be humiliated, and people will know I'm a fraud. Okay, so this took a few minutes to say, what is it really? And there were a lot of words around that. But, man, that's a heavy statement, right? But this isn't the false narrative. This is the title of a book that contains a bunch of false narratives accusations that justify this. Now, is this a gospel statement? No. Because that gospel love starts to cast out fear, right? So we need to understand this. To do that, we make a, a, thing, a simple thing called a T-chart. This is at the top. You put a line under it. You put a line down. That's what a T looks like. On the left side here, <laughs> over here, just think, I don't want to assume anything. That's rude. This side, we have the accusations. It's my favorite name for Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? Yeah. That's the greatest power. I don't know about things roaring, uh, going around roaring lions. I've never encountered that. I'm sure it's scary, but I do know about accusations. So these statements on the left side, the invisible thing I'm pointing at right now, are all you statements. If you're going to do this, and you should do it with a friend, Make sure it's not saying, well, I blank. No. Because that's, that's accepting it as an identity. This is an identity. It's an accusation. So it's saying you. Think about a prosecutor where every one of these statements points at that emotion and says, you should feel afraid because this is true. So when we got to it, don't do it yet. I'll, I'll give you a sign. It'll be like this. <laughs> okay. Um, what are some of the first things that came to mind when you were thinking accusation? You don't have yeah. to read it, but just summary. I'm going to go ahead and read it because I, I, okay. I... Okay. Throw it up. You are too old for this, and you know you're not as smart as you used to be. Maybe you could have done this in the past, but it's too late for you to be good at this now. All right. When you read these, they sound sweet. I need someone to make it sound mean. <laughs> <laughs> here you go. You got a mic here. Yeah, right there. So he's, uh, he's All five. right here. But start with number one. You are too old for this. You know you aren't as smart as you used to be. Maybe you could have done this in the, better in the past, but it's too late for you to be good at this now. See, I don't like hearing that in your voice because <laughs> it's like you're taking it on. You've so, wait, don't go to the next one yet. You can give the mic back to him for now. I'll let you know when we get to the second one. Okay. What, do you guys, what do you guys see here? Does this say you should be afraid? Yeah. You should be afraid, and there's nothing you can do about some of this. This is a beautiful accusation. You're just old. What can you do about getting old? Nothing. So, great. You're just screwed. And I would say, now, okay, you guys can laugh, 
It's we real, could, man. We could do you, and you'd find out, oh, yikes. And I, I would say, like, if we were taking our time to do this, the statement, you aren't as smart as you used to be, is that really the way that you feel that phrase, or is it that you're stupid? Something with other words that feel more biting. No, it's like I feel like I lose a few marbles every day. And like, like, I don't feel as sharp as I used to feel, and that scares the hell out of me. All right, let's go to number two. You've relapsed before, but now that this is your job, people won't ever be able to trust you if it makes a mistake. You have to be perfect, and you've never done that before. So why would you even think this would work? It's hard. Yeah. Accusations usually come with at least a kernel of truth. There's some truth in this, right? You haven't been perfect. Then it takes that kernel of truth and creates a narrative that justifies the first statement of, be afraid, don't try, plan on failing. Number three. You do remember when you were in full-time ministry last time, right? The only tool you had was lying and faking because you knew you would be found to be a fraud. Why do you think this would be different? Again, take the past. Find the kernels of truth in the past and force it on your present. And rob the hope of your future. You tried to take administrative tasks in the past with ministry and you totally failed. You don't have the gifts to pull this off. You will fail the expectations that come with this whole thing. You should just go back to being an exalted volunteer. This is where you work hard to find the right words. There, there are horrible words in here. And there's even horrible words because that's an accusation as well. You're an exalted volunteer right now, but because you're a volunteer, there's really no pressure. You can screw up and other guys will continue. It's not all on you, but that changes now. But even in exalted volunteer, that's the last thing you wanted to be. So it's already saying, dude, you've been using this the whole time for your own ego anyways. And those are the hard words. One more. Others, men's success depends on them believing you have achieved victory. You've always been a fraud. Thank you. There have been a lot of weeks where we've run out of time after making this list. Larry, sorry, we probably ran out of time before. It feels horrible to end with this. But do you see how these are the false narratives? These things are specific. When you look at this, Nate, how familiar do these sound without you ever having articulated any of them? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Very familiar. I hear this a lot. Isn't that weird that we can hear something so specifically and never acknowledge it? That's the power of the accuser. Let's just stay at the surface level of you're afraid, but never show what you're afraid about, because the second you show this, then we can start looking at what the gospel has to say. 
And when it comes to all the tools that you were given this weekend, it's not a waste of time to go back in your past and look at the broken parts. Because a general sin, a general broken past will only ever need a general gospel to fix it. Finding specific things that are broken, finding specific lies, can then apply a specific gospel to that thing, and you'll find the power of the gospel to both heal and resurrect every nook and cranny of brokenness in your life. I don't want a general gospel because I'm not interested in looking more Christian. I want to find out what it feels like to be a Christian. It's already done in Christ, but that doesn't mean I've experienced much of it. I can still be a prince eating out of trash cans with the palace in the background and never go in and have a feast there. That doesn't interest me. So we take each one of these and say, what would the perfect father say to this? Now, picture this. Don't, don't click yet. The easiest way for me to do this in my own life is to say, if someone stood in front of my child, especially when I think of them as a young child. I don't know how mature you think you are in Christ, but I guarantee you spiritually you haven't crossed the five-year-old threshold yet, right? We, what we know of God, what we've experienced of the infinite, is really small. You might even know what all of Tulip stands for. Didn't push you past five. So if I think of my child, a five-year-old, being told this, well, that's a horrible example for my five-year-old. <laughs> Crap. You're, you're too old for this makes less sense in this context, but uh, all of these are hard for the five. If I picture accusations being thrown at my child, these words, you can't do it. You don't have it in you. You failed before. You're going to suck in the future. If I picture an adult coming to my child and saying that, what's the first emotion that comes to you? Anger. Rage. If I see somebody abusing my child like this, my first thought is, son, we'll deal with this emotionally in a moment, and then I'll kick his ass. Period. And yet when I think of God dealing with these accusations, it becomes very stoic, like, come thou to the table and let us make witness of the gospel truths. What? What kind of father would not be angry? A bad father. So do I think God's a bad father, a good father? If I think he's a good father, then he is angry by these voices, these accusations in Nate's life. And this is real-time stuff. This is the stuff in Nate's life now, and God at this moment cares because he's a good father. So we look at number one. All right, go to the next clicky thing. Click it one more time. Okay, first one. Son, this makes me so angry. In this side of the T-chart, it is from God's voice to Nate. This is from the accuser at Nate. Son, this makes me so angry. How dare anyone tell you what you can't do in your desire to serve and love others with your life? Is this defended by Scripture that God would be angry on behalf of his child and that he has good works prepared in advance for him to do and it matters to God? 
Yeah, guess what? I don't have to put a Bible verse down because it's in the Bible. So we just write that down. How does that make you feel to consider that God is angry on your behalf? It's a great comfort. Why? I, I feel cared for when I hear those words. And, yeah, I feel encouraged when I hear those words. Show me another one for this lie. Do you know what I hate most about this statement? It's making you believe that this is yours to win or lose all on your own. You're my son, walking this out with your brothers. And that's what makes this true and good. One of my favorite things is watching you trust and experience that truth. Is that in Scripture? So I feel comfortable that God feels that for his son. And this points out some of the lie. What little truth is there, it says, oh, wait. It's taken that kernel of truth and said, you, you can win this or lose this on your own. No, you can't. That's not true. Next one. Nate, I remember when you were so clever back before you started losing your marbles. <laughs> And how that did not serve you well. I loved watching you serve in the wisdom that came from experience instead of the arrogance of your youth. I love that young man, but you have no idea how delighted I was to see him grow up. <laughs> what a ridiculous lie this is. It's ridiculous because Nate can look back at those years and say, no, I wasn't fit to serve, but this lie says you were more fit to serve when you weren't fit to serve than now when you are fit to serve. That doesn't make any sense. So we need to say, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's not too late for you to be good at this. It's exactly the time that you get to be yourself, holy yourself in this. Your judgment or anyone else's judgment concerning your goodness has never been central in my desire for you. I want you to discover me. Enjoy engaging life and people, all the good gifts I put inside you. That's all. What do you guys feel just looking at these simple statements? Like, none of this is complicated. But when you put it next to a lie that all of you felt for Nate when you said, oh, there's a fear attached to this. Why is there a fear? Stupid statement like this. Cruel accusation like this. What do you feel when you simply look at some gospel truths attached to it? Yeah. Why? Why tears? Yeah. And what does it make you feel? looking at some simple, perfect father statements. You don't have to be a theologian. You just got to think, what would, what would a perfect father even feel? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How does it take the pressure off? It's so hard for us to remember that we're not useful to God. He could do everything better than us. Like, the, the kingdom's not going to suffer if, if I mess something up. That's really silly. There's no pressure with that. That I'm being invited in to participate. And God's like, oh, come here, buddy. This is going to be fun. And then we mess something up and, and cry 
I, I always think of sprinklers. My dad loves sprinklers so much. And I would go out and we'd do sprinklers, and I would always break the PVC. So I'm trying to dig around it, right? And I hit it with the trowel, I break it, and I would always start crying and go into my bedroom. And then my dad would have to come in the bedroom and say, PVC is the easiest thing to fix in the world. Come, come back out. And then we'd put a little thing on it, put a thing, glue it, and it would be fine. I hold that because how many times do I break something and think, I blew it, now the kingdom's there. I could have been the only Jesus that person ever knew. Shut up. Are you kidding me? That's the pressure we carry. And I break a piece of PVC and I run off to my room and my dad comes in and says, kid, come here. It's just PVC. I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to do my sprinklers. Come out. Let's do this together. Why? Because I delight in you. Not because you're useful to me. Put the second one up. We're just going to go quicker through this. Relapsed before, but now that this is your job, people won't ever be able to trust you if you make a mistake. You have to be perfect, and you've never done that before. So why would you even think this would work? What's the Father say? Oh, this breaks my heart to think that you would believe these lies. You know that perfection by your own strength has never been my desire or the thing that qualified you to serve other men. It's never been your failures that have made you unworthy of the trust of others. It's been your dishonesty in the fight. And I've watched you embrace, fearfully step into, boldly run towards being honest with other men in both your successes and stumblings. I'm so proud of you. Something we all need to hear. Do we believe that about the God of the universe? You know one of the, the best passages in Scripture is? The stoning of Stephen. I remember reading it in high school. This is being stoned. He looks up. Heaven opens up, right? And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I remember thinking, why is he standing? I looked up all the other places about the right hand of the Father, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So I started going to pastors saying, why is he standing? Why is he standing? None of them had any answers that made sense. One of them said, well, we see that he stands in intercession. So maybe Stephen's about to die, and now he stands so he can be in intercession. I'm like, okay, at least you had a Bible verse for your answer. None of the other guys did. <laughs> what made sense to my little high school mind, and it hasn't changed to this day, is in his moment of, of a really hard fearful serving of others, the forgiving of others while they attack him. God said, okay, let me show you something. You're going to need this. And the eternal one, he who was before all time, the wellspring of life through whom all things were created, got up, stood to his feet in a moment in his child's life it wasn't eternally significant. It was significant to that moment, but it was just a thing. But Jesus the Christ stood up and said, all right, go, go. Like watching his son running down the football field and breaking a tackle. What father would be on his ass in that moment? 
not your heavenly father because he's so proud of those moments. And I thought, I don't know about crowns and jewels and rewards in heaven. I don't, I'm not into jewelry as it is. I've never understood that stuff. It, I don't have a desire for it. I don't have a taste for it. But to think that in any given moment, my life can be lived in such a way that I get in the ring against the dragon and he stands to his feet and says, okay, go, go, go. That's worth trying. And to know that when I fail, he stands to come get me. That there's no rejection in it because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. There's none. There's nothing that can separate me from his love. This is important because I don't want this to just be blowing smoke up Nate's ass. Some people might not trust him. He could tell his story and they say, okay, um, thank you for telling us that. Let's go, honey. That could happen. Okay, I need to say, so what? I need to answer the so what. I can't promise everyone will trust or that others will even like you all the time. But those are their stories. Do you remember when Aslan said this in the Chronicles of Narnia, when the kids wanted to know the other kids' stories, and Aslan said, it's not your story. God isn't necessarily going to tell Nate the times when somebody doesn't resonate with him. Why? But God will say, uh, that's, our, that's my business with them. I'm working through that with them. But know this, you're not alone. It's a trip we're taking. I'm on it with you. And I'm bringing you exactly the traveling companions I want for you. Look around at the traveling companions that God has given you. And yet it's so easy for me to focus on the one that didn't want to take this walk. Let's do the next one real quick. We'll do one more. You do remember when you were in full-time ministry last time, right? The only tool you had was lying and faking because you knew that you would be found to be a fraud. Why do you think this will be different? Oh, Nate, how tragic this life would be if you were only measured by your past and what you think of as your past failures. I'm with you in this now and long to have you join me, join me here. The man you were 32 years ago was always precious to me. But he's not the man who stands before me today. Why would you think this would be different? Because it's a different man who's stepping into this service for the sakes of the men around him and not only for himself. Son, you were never a fraud to me. I knew you perfectly. Oh, you sit with that statement for a second. Those of you that think you're mask wearers, that you're frauds, other people might have believed you. Just yesterday we saw those psalms. He knew you perfectly. You never have pulled off a con on God. You were never a fraud to me. I knew you perfectly. I knew the pains that you were trying to heal on your own in your darkness and isolation. Of course a perfect father would say this. Why the masks? Because you were hurt. You were alone. You were trying to figure it out. God didn't just look at the mass and say, you horrible little punk. I wanted, I wanted authenticity. He said, oh, man. 
stuff hurts. So we see that. To be soothed, to be seen. This is all the stuff we talked about. And what you now look at as failure in your past is a cracked foundation onto which I built a life that is beautiful to me and perfectly suited to serve the men around you today. You didn't scare me away at your worst, and you certainly don't scare me now. Beloved baby boy. word in the Greek is technon. If you go to the story of the prodigal son, you'll see that's the word that the father uses for the elder brother when he's begging him to come into the party and be a part of the family. Precious baby boy. All right, Nate, tell us your thoughts as you look at this. Well, I got, first of all, it was such a gift for you to do that. We did this over the phone. I was, I, I don't know what I was doing at Home Depot, trying to buy something. And I, <laughs> Then I could hardly get out of the damn store. <laughs> As you're saying this stuff that's hitting so deep, I'm trying to hold it together. Um, because this is, this is gospel. That's what I so desperately need to hear. And what here's what I know about the gospel in my life. It has a high evaporation rate. Uh, and I need other people to remind me of the gospel. I'm so glad God gave me Aaron to walk with and David Hampton to walk with and the other brothers I get to walk with. Larry gives me the gospel every Tuesday morning. Um, and this is just so beautifully phrased, and it's, it brings me back to center and gets me back in the game. Yeah. Do you guys see, I mean, this is just a, such a quick example, and it's so unfair to just throw this out because this stuff takes work. This has to do with shame. If your deal's anger, that's judgment. This doesn't work for judgment. There's a whole other thing we have to engage for judgment. But do you see how all the stuff that these different folks were talking to you about are completely gospel-centered if we let the Father who has given us the gospel participate in it? Don't take a recovery journey without finding the life that comes from our perfect Abba. We're not just invited into it the Father comes out and pleads with us to come into the house and join the party. That's all I have to say about this. Fantastic. Yeah. 
Well, there it is. That was the final session of our weekend. So, and that's and that's our gift to our brothers who had to leave the retreat early, as well as they don't deserve the, a gift. As well as those brothers who <laughs> really wanted to make the retreat but yes. but couldn't be there. Yeah, and we are really wanting to bring some retreats to areas closer to each of you. Mm-hmm. Not just so it's easier for you to get there, but so that you can meet people within a geographic area yeah. within four or five hours. Yeah. So you can do your own stuff, connect. And in the meantime, uh, Mike Moore delivered that fantastic package, uh, that toolkit for the do-it-yourself small retreat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, complete with videos, all that kind of stuff. I I believe, I hope we have those uh, tools already on the website. If they're not there, they're going to be there very quickly. Yeah, uh, so how do we tell people to get there? I don't have the card on me. Yeah, I don't know. This is very poorly scripted, Aaron. We don't know what we're talking about. We're tired. Jeez, <laughs> we just got back last night. <laughs> all I know is... It love, is we just give grace to ourselves. It is, yeah, give us a break, us. It is a, it is a it is a good and beautiful thing for men, <laughs> brothers to dwell together in unity. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and I actually do love that that toolkit's out there. Uh, will uh, if if I figure it out, I'll put it in the notes in the next mm-hmm. week or two. Yeah. So it's really cool because yeah. doing your own time, you don't need special stuff. Just get together. Yeah. Yeah. The real magic was that everybody was there. Or the LA guys. I was talking to them. They're like doing one of these in a airbnb in tustin yeah or something like that yeah yeah now, those in you, february those of you that don't know where tustin is tustin's nowhere it's the <laughs> middle of ugly la oh really oh my gosh yes it's not cool okay i mean it's not far from disneyland but they're not going to disneyland so what's the point yeah yeah so well, good. you can do it even in tustin and if you're from tustin i'm sorry <laughs> all right well, we have more to bring to our uh, listeners in the next episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast, a little bit more from the retreat. We're going to bring you back to the retreat. Yeah. Uh, but until then, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are the pirates. We don't do anything.